Can we continue to thank him? We did. So you know the moment. You have just finished a nice meal, and the question is asked, did anyone save room for dessert? It's the question that's always asked at the end, and it's an invitation to what we hope is an intense, rich conclusion to the feast that we have just enjoyed. Well, today, we have come to the end of a meal. Because for a year, we have feasted together on a little letter that the Apostle Paul first wrote to some Jesus followers in a place called Philippi while he was in prison in Rome. It is the final greeting. It is the last verses of this letter, and I want you to know it is an intense, rich conclusion, every phrase of it. And yet in this case, unlike most of the desserts that we enjoy, this last course is also nutritious. And so I'm glad that we saved room for this. I welcome you today. I'm grateful that you're here. Wherever you may be joining us from online, we're grateful for these moments together. I wish you a Merry Christmas. And let's dig in and take a few more bites of what we have feasted on this year. Check it out, Philippians chapter 4. We have arrived at verse 21 Here's what he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It feels final, doesn't it? And we know that final words can truly be most powerful. And so here's what I want you to see first. In these last three verses, Jesus. Jesus. He's mentioned twice, right? Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to close it out with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Just three verses, but twice Jesus is mentioned. And I'm bringing this up because that's not a shock to those of us who have walked through this letter all year long. There's only four chapters in the letter, and some 40 times Jesus is referred to. 40 times. In fact, um, I want you to know, in Paul's thinking, Jesus is central to everything. He is. So we probably should have taken a hint in the very first couple of verses that we read way back at the very beginning, right? The first weeks, we read those first verses, and I just want you to see it again so that that you are reminded. Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. And then by the time he gets to the end, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw the pattern immediately, and it just continued throughout this letter. For Paul, Jesus is central to everything. And as we begin to dive into each chapter, and we looked at the main theme for each chapter, we found the same to be true. In Philippians chapter 1, right? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, what is more, I considered everything a loss compared, all right, a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In chapter 4, right, when we're learning how we can possibly still be joyful regardless of the circumstances that we're in, the declaration is I can do all This through him, and the reference is Christ who gives me strength. Paul can't talk about anything without connecting it to Jesus. If it's suffering, he connects it to Jesus. If it's the end of the world, he connects it to Jesus. If the topic is serving, it's connected to Jesus. If it's conflict, then we need, to, we need to connect it to Jesus. He always draws it back to Jesus. And so as we are wrapping up, I simply want to ask you this little question. Is that true for you? Is it true for you? And here is the first bite that we are offered today that we might determine that Jesus will be at the center of every circumstance of our lives. That's what Paul has modeled for us. Come on, there is no part of your life that you don't want Jesus connected to because he is central to that. So if it's parenting, you, you want that connected to who Jesus is and a connection of your kids to him. That's, that's what the whole point is about. If it's, if it's marriage, it is about displaying the, the gospel of Jesus and how you love one another and how you lay down your lives for one another. If, it, if it's serving, it's connected to how Jesus has served us. If it's about the future, it's about the fact that one day Jesus is returning. That is what overshadows every situation, every circumstance in our life. We can enjoy the richness of life in Jesus when we recognize he is the center of everything. So here's the danger, though. We can intellectually agree to that today. I can share this with you and you say, yes, that's right. But I'm asking you to ask yourself honestly, is Jesus the center of your life? And one of the ways you can measure that is how often is he in your conversation? Paul writes four chapters, and he mentions Jesus 40 times. I'm saying if we use that as a picture of what it looks like when we recognize Jesus central to everything that we do, how often do you recognize and speak of him? I'm not talking about 
right, going through this act where how many times a day can I, can I actually say his name so that I sound holy. I'm talking about what happens when you really recognize him in every situation. Therefore, in every situation, his name tends to rise to the front. Paul's determined that Jesus is at the center, and I'm asking you, will you? Will you recognize he is? He is. Will you you make those decisions considering him, and will you speak of him? Man, that's just one bite of this dessert, but how rich could that be? if that's what life really becomes for us. Let's take a second bite. Let's go back to those verses, verse 21 to 23. Look at what he says. Listen to this part. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Listen to the language. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people. You you hear a, 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 a connecting theme here related to, right, the, the family of, of God. When, when we started the letter and, and he's sending greetings, he mentions the overseers and he mentions the deacons, and he, then he, but he mentions everyone, everyone. And in many translations, not the one that I'm reading today, but in many translations, it'll use the word saints, to all the saints. And sometimes that can kind of lead to maybe a misinterpretation in the culture in which we operate because sometimes we are taught or taught to think of saints are this very narrow, right, small group who have, right, achieved the highest levels of of what we would call holiness, uh, uh, right, of of what it means to to, to be with God. But, But I want you to know that when the Apostle Paul uses the word saints, He is referring to everybody that belongs to Jesus. He's referring to everybody who has ever been set apart for him. They are the holy ones. You're like, "Uh, I don't know if I'm a holy one. If you belong to Jesus, you are a holy one. You are a saint. It is Paul's default name for those of us who belong to Jesus. We are both positionally holy, right? Because Jesus took our sin, he gave to us his righteousness. When the Father looks at us, he sees the the goodness of his Son. Positionally, we are made right with him, we are holy. But we are also the holy ones because his power that is at work in us is also transforming, right? Our hearts and our minds and our actions and our thoughts and every part of us is becoming more and more like him. The people to whom Paul is speaking the first time when he writes Philippians, they didn't grow up in church. They were not a people who could say, we kept all the rules of God. In fact, they lived in a culture that worshipped many gods, like you've already heard a testimony of today. There is nothing about their background that qualifies them to be holy ones before God, except they met 
Jesus. And when they turned to Jesus, he forgave and he embraced and they become his. Now, what he says here, this little word greet, it said greet all God's people. And it jumped out to me this week, just doing the study in the background, there is a, one of the translations that the Bible scholars would attach to this little word is hospitable recognition. Okay, hospitable recognition. And that makes sense to me when I'm thinking about what Paul's writing, when I think about what we've learned in this book, if I see you, it is a declaration that you matter to me. Let me, let me frame it a different way. If you walk by me and don't pay attention to me, if you walk by me and don't greet me, what is the message? You don't matter. You don't matter, right? But when someone goes out of their way to greet someone, what is the loud message that is sent in that? It says, I, I acknowledge that you exist. I am glad that you exist, right? I, I, I am celebrating this truth. You matter. And it was just one of those reminders for me that, come on, in a culture, a culture that we live in nationwide that declares stay in your lane. We have got to move countercultural in that because at the very foundation of what it is to belong to God's family is that we will be the people that step outside our lane in terms of going out of our way to greet the people that declares you matter to us because you matter to Jesus. I am giving us permission as heart of life across the board. Man, we ought to be the people who go out of our way to greet because greeting says you're valuable to me. And so I want to lay down the challenge moving forward. Man, we have, we have walked through this letter. Every gathering that ever happens at Heart of Life, there should never be a moment that somebody steps into these gatherings that they are not greeted by person upon person upon person upon person. Why? Because the underlying value that we know to be true is that every person is valuable to God. You're like, I know, Jeff, but that's uncomfortable. I know it's uncomfortable, but the truth outweighs the uncomfortable. Come on, we can be that people because that's God's design for his people. And not just when we gather, but just in the way we operate in life, right? To be the people where you work that actually speak to people, that actually greet people, that actually demonstrate a, a worth to people. We, we can be that. Like, it was just this little bitty word in the middle of study this week, but it's like, no, if we don't even get that right, then we really can't declare that we love the way that Paul says God has designed us to love 
He wants this to be the case with every person because every person matters. They are brothers and sisters. They are family. We are built for relationship. Christianity is about relationship. It's about loving our God. It's about loving our neighbor. But even though we all desire close relationships, we tend to act in a way that puts distance between us. That's what sin did when sin entered. And from the very beginning, we saw Adam and Eve and an intimacy that they had that was not. They covered their nakedness and started what continues to this day blame the other person for the problem. Their family life shattered when a brother kills a brother. A human race that longs for fellowship is suddenly marked by the breakdown of it. This means that that fellowship doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It is brought about by a miracle that we need Jesus. That's why he's central to everything. He is the one who makes us a new creation. He is the one in forgiving our sin and bringing us into God's family. He makes us one. But we are called to walk that out, to work that out. We have seen it in this study of Philippians, right? We got to constantly work, right, in terms of our families, in terms of our church family. Perhaps you've heard the little quip before, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, that is a different story. It's true. Because we all got struggles. I want to read something to you that it is, as far as I know, an unknown source, but it's stated in a way that I wanted us to hear today. It reads like this. What the first century world saw was the phenomenon of people of all walks of life loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another, praying for one another. Slaves and free men were in that community. Rich and poor were in the fellowship. Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens were in that community. Members of the establishment and those who violently opposed to the establishment were part of the community. The intelligentsia and the illiterate were members of that community. To the utter amazement of the world outside, they were bound together in an unexplainable love and unity. I want that. And that's God's desire for us. This is what he can make us to be. And so here is the second bite that I encourage you to take today. Commit. Commit to the fellowship of Jesus' family in every circumstance. Commit to the fellowship of Jesus' family in every circumstance. This is where we started the year. And it's the whole reason that we called this series what we called it. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 3, this is what we read 
so many weeks ago. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we dug into that word partnership. It, it is often the word we would use for fellowship, right? And we talked about the fact that sometimes churches, especially if you've been a church for a long time, man, almost every church has sort of a place that they call a, a fellowship hall or a fellowship room. But it's like we got a room for it, but we're not sure we know what it is. And at the very anchor, the very core of what this word is about, it is about a life in Jesus together that we simply have chosen to sum up with a tiny little word, with. With. We belong to Jesus, we are with him. But we also belong to each other. As his family, we are with one another. It's supposed to be more than attending a service. It's a belonging. So I want you to hear the statement that I'm charging you with today that is easy to see from the book of Philippians. Commit to the fellowship of Jesus' family in every circumstance. And here's why I'm saying that. You're better with Jesus' family. You're better because that's how he designed you. Therefore, stop doing life apart from Jesus' family. Include them when you struggle. Because a part of the design for how God has empowered us to walk through struggles is he gave us one another. So my point is when you hit a struggle, maybe you struggle in a marriage, right? Maybe your kids are off the rails. Maybe it's a decision that you face that feels so heavy. Don't close the door on the very blessing that God has designed to help you walk through those struggling moments. It's what, what tends to happen in our culture is when we struggle, we go alone. When we struggle, we draw our circle, and the declaration is that that's really not anybody else's business. And y'all, you can't read Philippians and walk away with that truth. It is somebody else's business. It is Jesus' business at the center of it all. And if you follow Jesus, you cannot disconnect the head from the body. He has designed it that we walk through this together. And so the challenge for you is to not just believe that God's family is important, but to be vulnerable. It is. It's to willing to trust Right, you, you don't have to tell everybody, but there are, there's a group of people within the local body that you are a part of wherever you may be that that group of people, you've got to risk in trusting them. You've got to risk to say, here's what my family's walking through and God's design is that you help me, that you pray for me, that, that I'm asking you, like, what does the wisdom of God look like? Here's what I think God's word says and you're relying on one another. That's the picture that God has called us to and what God has stirred up in this little letter. 
I am praying that God will blow up in terms of how we do that as a church that people know we're not just with Jesus, but that with that it means we are with one another. That this is a place we don't operate alone. Hmm. Man, if we do that, how rich life becomes. One more taste. One more taste. Back to Philippians, verse 21. You're greeting all God's people. The brothers and sisters send their greetings, all God's people there greeting you. Check out this line. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Like as in the Roman emperor like Caesar's household. Is Paul saying what I think he's saying here? Like he's talking to the brothers and sisters and he's including Caesar's household. It's connected to something we learned way back in chapter 1. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's what's happened to me. What's happened to him? He's in prison. What's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the whole palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Jesus, because everything's about Jesus. Everything's connected to him, right? This, this palace guard is, it re, I think it refers to Caesar's place. I think that's the, the, that's the phrasing here. And so what's happened is Paul's saying, my imprisonment in this imperial place has resulted in the salvation of some people who are here. My imprisonment is not wasted. My life is purposeful even in the worst of circumstances. My, my temporary physical imprisonment has led some people to experience an eternal spiritual freedom through Jesus. And I would have never had the chance to speak to them if I hadn't been in prison. So now, even some of Caesar's palace, those who were there, we don't know who all those are. In heaven one day, we'll find out how big of a circle that became. He's like, they're in, and they send you greetings. So here's the last bite that I encourage you to take. Focus on Jesus' mission in every circumstance. That's where Paul sets us up. If he's in prison and he can do that, then most any circumstance that we can imagine we stay focused on the fact that our God is on a mission of bringing whatever you're going through will connect you to people. Even the struggles, right? You may not be in the place that you want to be because of the struggle you're going but it's connecting you to some people. And sometimes it's connecting you to people that you never would have been connected to otherwise. In passing, I heard this story a couple of weeks ago. One of our Heart of Life ladies, uh, after being in, you know, several of the services where we had the sheets laying out about inviting people to, right, the follow the shepherd drama, she said, I found myself in the Walmart parking lot, I was getting ready to go in, and it was, it was as though the Spirit of God just said, so, are you going to do it? And she knew what the wrestling match was, it was the yes, I know that there is a message of, of, of hope that people need to hear. And, 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 but she's like, am I actually going to 
like think about or look for anybody. And so she took that invitation card and uh, brought it with her into the store. And she said, sure enough, God put her in a spot where she overheard a conversation because it was happening right in front of her in part by one of the employees there. And at the end of the conversation that she heard, it was like Jesus just simply told her to ask the question, are you okay? Are you okay? And the asking of are you okay opened up a bit of a dialogue that eventually led to the opportunity to speak the name of Jesus. How rich does life become when absolutely every circumstance of your life could be considered as an eternal moment that God is putting you in front of someone who needs to know Jesus? He can do that from prison, and he can do that in Walmart. Some of y'all think those are very much alike, right? (laughs) But he can no matter the circumstance. See, we have been taught to believe that people don't ever want to hear the name of Jesus. We have been, it has been communicated in the culture and we live, people don't want to hear of Jesus. But the lie that is being covered up is that so many people are looking for hope. And they will hear his name if we speak it. Say, okay, I want to walk that out, but Jeff, I don't know that I can walk that out. I mean, I I don't know that I can pull something like that off. That's why we need to make sure that we don't miss the very last verse. The very last verse that's given, but I'm going to pair it with one of the very first verses that we read in this study. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that in the very last verse of the letter, in 423, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. First, grace to, end, grace with. And what if I told you that in all 13 letters that the apostle Paul writes, he says that, all 13. In the beginning, grace to. At the end, grace with. A grace coming to you, Paul says, as you open this letter and as you read these words that God is speaking to you, it is the grace of God coming to you. What is God's grace? Unmerited favor of an all-powerful God. What is not deserved, what is not earned, but a favor that is, he said, when you open the pages and you are about to read the truths just like you guys did for this year, then it is grace coming to you. But what he also knows is that it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there with simply learning the truths from a page. When we start to live out what we have learned, when we start to make Jesus recognizing him to be the central factor in every part of our life, when we start to operate as the family of God and leaning into each other, his grace goes with you. With you. 
And I think this is connected back to what we talked about last week, the whole patronage system that we talked about in Paul's day where, remember, if there was an artist, right, somebody who was really good at something, you'd have a patron who would invest in that artist, perhaps give them a financial gift to enable them to do what they do, but there was an expectation that came with that. Remember, strings attached, right? I give you grace, you give me loyalty. I'll give you a gift in order, this is a a gift of grace in order for you to do, but you give me loyalty because the expectation is if I need you later, pull the string. What Paul does at the end of this book is just an absolute supernatural picture where Paul says it is true, right? We are cutting the string and instead of that string being attached to you and me. He says, I'm going to cut the string, but there are still strings attached because now you are hooked to the grace of a sovereign God. I looked like I need the biggest hook I can find. And this one is in honor of the straw that we will still be finding at this campus in the next three months after doing Follow the Shepherd, all right? It's a hay hook, all right? But it gets the point done. The point forever and ever and ever going forward, as a child of God, once, once you follow Jesus, you, he says, no longer the strings are attached where Paul says what, what I, right, far beyond what I could ever return, you gave me a gift of grace, right, but far more than what I could ever do. I am attaching you. You are now hooked to the grace of a sovereign God. And he has riches far beyond what I could ever give to you. An absolute power who rules over all things. And one day the scripture tells us that every single person who has ever had breath will declare that he is Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that sovereign power. When Paul says these things about grace, he is not making demands. He is simply praying out what he knows that God has already promised to do Give grace. Sovereign grace. Sovereign because it cannot be stopped. Grace because it is based on what we do not deserve. An unmerited favor of an almighty God. Grace demonstrated in Jesus giving his life for sinners like us that our sin would no longer separate us from God hooked to a grace that now flows over us as his kids because nothing is held against us anymore. Hooked to a grace that continues to to come to us in our weaknesses and loves us despite our failures. We are hooked to a grace that forgives our sin. We are attached to a grace that grows us in holiness. We are hooked to a grace that draws us to Jesus and away from the false treasures in this world. We are hooked to a grace that shows us the truth of God's word and away from the lies of an enemy that only wants to destroy us. 
A grace that welcomes us into God's presence. We are adopted into his family. A grace that knows our needs. A grace that sees our suffering. A grace that one day will wipe away our tears forever. And a grace that guards us until that day against an enemy and a grace that holds us even when we stumble. This is the grace that long ago was enough for David in the wilderness, enough for Job in his trials, enough for Joseph when he was falsely accused, and it will be enough for the Apostle Paul where in a short time after writing these words, he will die. But there is no question in our mind when we read this letter. He will die with joy in his heart. And it wouldn't surprise me if there weren't a smile on his face. Because the Apostle Paul knows that to take his last breath in this life means that he gets to be with Jesus. So parents who right now feel that you are at the end of your rope with your kids. May today be a loud declaration and reminder. You are hooked to the grace of an almighty God who holds all power and loves your children a million times bigger than you do. You are not alone. To every Christian, He gives grace to speak his name, to put the interest of others above ourselves. This is a grace that rejects legalism. It rejects our self-trust. We point to Jesus alone. Only he saves us. This grace is stronger than any force. It moved us from being outcast that now we hold the most treasured membership in existence. Because of Jesus, we now belong to the family of God and live with an eternal purpose. Forever I will be grateful for the walk through this book that led us to the simple phrase that I pray for perhaps the next decade reminds us of who we are and what we do. Who is heart of life? Heart of life. Is about Jesus, his family, his mission. So I'm going to ask you to do something today that's a little different. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I take this kind of a moment very serious because for much of my life, what I'm about to ask you to do, I would have been terrified to do. Does that encourage you? You excited now? I'm not kidding. For much of my life, I would have been terrified to do what I'm about to ask you to do. But what I want you to do for just a few minutes, and we're going to sing a little bit at the end. We're going to celebrate together as his family something so rich that it goes beyond my words today. But I want you to have a conversation around a table in this place. Wherever you may be, maybe you're at home, have a conversation with your family. Um, maybe this will be one of those moments, if, you don't, if you're not watching this or being a part of this with someone, maybe by next week, invite somebody to be a part of that with you. Um, whatever location you're watching from, if you guys could just 
Maybe most of you are already sitting at tables, but if you could just maybe group up in a little bit. If, if, you're, I, if there's only a couple of you at one table, all right? Okay, this is crazy. I know it's crazy. Maybe join another table. I know it's crazy. But maybe just join with another table and don't assume that whoever you're sitting with has been at Heart of Life forever. Don't assume that. It could be their first week or second week. I mean, just because you don't know who they are, don't, don't assume that. Take a second and maybe just introduce if you haven't met somebody. And then I just want you to simply answer this question. This is not a five-minute answer by everybody. This is just a couple of seconds. You don't even have to say anything more than just which one. But what we've talked about are three pieces today. Jesus, his family, his mission. The centrality of Jesus, the fellowship of his family, and seeing all of life as a, on this mission we're in. Which one today? did God like most speak to you about? And I don't care how you define that. You just know what it is. When something comes up in the talking, you're like, ooh. You know it. Like, you know him speaking. You know when God's showing you something that needs, you need to grow in or you need to pray in. I just want you to take a couple of seconds. You don't have to give a big explanation, all right? You, you don't have to give 20 years of background. You don't, not today. Just a few minutes of which one of the three Did God most today say to you, hey, this is where I want to work some things in you? Can we do that? Can this be a safe enough place that we can just visit for a couple of minutes, and then I'll pray for you, and then we're going to sing, all right? I know it's crazy, but come on, let's do it. Listen, 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 listen. I'm not kidding with you when I say most of my life this terrified me, but I came to the realization that the payoff is worth whatever it takes for me to walk through the uncomfortable. It's worth it. Let's take one of those steps today. Get together for a couple of minutes. It'll be okay. I'll pray for us after that, and then we'll sing. Let's do that. All right. It's a good sound. You did good. You did good. All right, here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you so you get them started and they won't stop. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing. And then if you're not done, finish when we're done. Like, just hang out for a few minutes and visit with some folks. Hang out for a few minutes. Talk. Let me pray. We'll do that. God, you just gave us the privilege all across this room, across the rooms to which we speak. You just gave us the privilege to speak to miracles. Because every single one of us today who would declare that we belong to you, that only happened because of a miracle. You forgave us. You gave us new life. And now you have connected us in those miracles in your family that we could walk this out together. My prayer today is, God, that what we have learned in this letter throughout this year, that you will grow. That we see 
Jesus always as the center of every circumstance in our life. May you give us courage to take steps toward one another that the with factor in this body would grow stronger, that we would do this the way you've designed it to be done together. And may we see all of life in the mission that you've called us to, that your great name will be known in the whole world, that we will speak Jesus. It's in his great name that we pray today.